thank you for being here. I mean, it, it does a pastor's heart good to be in two auditoriums in the same service slot and see a full campus on the weekend that State Fair opens here in Kansas. And I know it's really big. Can you believe this is my 35th year here at New Spring and obviously Kansas. I've never been to the State Fair. I don't know how I keep missing it. I want to go. I, get, I work weekends. And so that's... That's part of it. But I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to know we never take it lightly that you take part of your week and come spend it with us. And we hope that you always find value here in the most important questions of life. We're in a series right now called DNA. And the tagline is seven claims that a Christ follower can make. It's a very important series to me. You know, there are a lot of people who study the social condition of our country, and for those of you watching out of the country, I'm talking about the United States, although I'm sure part of what I'm going to talk about is relevant to your part of the world to some extent. But there are those who study trends in regard to religion or belief in God. And through the years, there have been polls, there have been surveys taken as to what people prefer or what people believe in regard to religion. And then there are those who will say, well, I am Protestant, I'm Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or non-denominational. And there are those who say, well, I'm Catholic. And some would say, well, I'm Buddhist or I'm uh, a Muslim. But there is a growing number of people in a group here in the United States that are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. When people are asked, what is your belief in regard to faith in a supernatural being? They will say, I don't have a group that I'm part of. And there are those who are becoming concerned about that, especially those who lead churches, those who lead religious organizations, because many of those who call themselves nuns are in the younger generation. And so I look at that and I'm thankful, first of all, that New Spring is a church of all ages and God has blessed us and we're a little bit of an outlier, an anomaly in that regard. But if we look at it holistically from the viewpoint of the whole Western world, we have to recognize that fewer and fewer people believe what the Bible says. And there are a couple of reasons that jump off the page to me. One is, I understand that in the last days, there will be what the Bible calls a great falling away. I get that. But that's too easy of an answer. I'll tell you what I believe. I think those who are Christ followers, and I'm not talking about us specifically in this building, but those who are Christ followers do not a very good job of explaining to people the reason or reasons why they follow Jesus. And I have to lay that at the foot of those who do what I do. Because we hear so much preaching about all kinds of topics. I wonder, do we ever just pull back and say, why is it that I follow Jesus? You see, I think that's a fair question. Here at New Spring, for years, we've been a very safe place to explore faith. And there are those, many indeed, and you may even find yourself being one of these people who are not sure what you believe about God yet. And it's been a safe place to ask this question. That's why we have ministries like Starting Point, which is like a living room environment where no question is off limits. I, I, I'm glad that we are who we are, but I, I, I've learned so much from people who've come in our, our doors who are agnostics are not sure what they believe about God. And, it, and it's helped me to hear from them. And one of the things that I've heard is this question. Tell me why I would be better off if I believe what you believe. And I will tell you what I think, even though I'm a pastor of a church, I think that's a fair question. 
If we don't have an answer as to why a person would be better off to follow Jesus, I don't blame someone for saying, I'm not really interested in what you have to say. Well, that's what this series is about. It's, it's about seven claims that every Christ follower can make. And we've already covered three. Week one was, I am a new person. The best this world can offer is improvement. But the Bible says if any person is in Jesus Christ, that person has become a new person. Week two, I see more. And then week three, Jonathan brought a great message last week on I have value that you can't see. Today, we're going to tackle one of the biggest questions of all, and when we end this message, you're going to have a declaration that only a Christ follower can make. And I think if I were here today, or if I were watching online or watching on television, I think even if I were a non-theist, I think I would look at this message and say, I would like to be able to say that. I might not agree with these people, I might not be ready to walk alongside them, but I wish I could say this. The reason why this, this subject is so big is today we're going to talk about death. And I don't care who a person is, death scares everybody. You know, I meet people who tell me, well, I don't really worry about death. When I die, I'm just going to go back to dirt. And, and death doesn't scare me. But, you know, there's an expression that we have in English. It's an old expression, whistling through the graveyard. If you've ever heard that expression, what it refers to is back in the old days when kids would walk through cemeteries at night, they would be scared so they would whistle a tune to make themselves feel like they're okay. I can tell you for anybody who tells me you don't fear death, you're whistling through the graveyard. And even if you're a Christ follower, there's something within our spirit that dreads death. The Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts. And there's a part of us that freaks a little bit over death. So whether a person is an agnostic or a religious person or even a Christ follower, there's something about death that we all dread. And in our world where media is in our face all the time, death is ever before us. For those of you watching out of the country here in the United States, we are experiencing a rash of mass shootings. And what is happening is so tragic, unspeakably tragic, and the experts don't have a handle on it yet. For those of you who are watching me in the United States, do you realize in the 1960s we only had one mass shooting in a whole decade? In the 70s, we only had two. In the, uh, only one, I believe. In the 80s, I think we had two. In the 90s, we had five. I can't even think of all the mass shootings that we've had this year. So something very radical is changing in our world. I, we had the shooting in Odessa, Texas, and I have a pastor friend who pastors a almost mirror church to New Spring. He and I went to college together, and I called him on the phone when the news broke, and I said, Griff, is everybody okay? He said, we have one family in our church that's affected by this shooting. It's in our face, and we want to think about death coming at the end of a long life, but we are aware of the fact that death comes to people of all ages in all situations. And we fear death. We also fear death because death is the great leveler. You know, death doesn't care what you do for a living. Death doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. Death doesn't care what color you are. Death doesn't care how powerful you are. You know, death is the great leveler. A pastor friend of mine, he, he's much older, he's in my dad's generation, told me years ago about having a funeral director in his church, and he stopped by 
well, his house was attached to the mortuary, and the funeral director said to the pastor, come back here to the preparation room, and I want to show you something. And there were a couple of slabs, and the pastor could see that there were bodies under the slabs. They were covered by sheets. And the director, funeral director pulled back the sheet from one face, and it was clear it was a man in his late 60s. He, had been, he was being prepared to be put in his casket. His hair was combed. And, and, and so he said, okay, I want to show you another corpse. And he pulled back another sheet. And the man under that sheet was about the same age and looked very similar. And he said, what do you think about these two guys? And the pastor said, well, they both look real similar. And he said, well, I want you to know this guy, pointing to the first guy, was president of one of the largest banks in the city. He said, this guy was a homeless man that they just brought into me last night. That's what death does. It is the great leveler. And we fear death. Do, do you know why we fear death? We fear death because it is something we've never experienced before. And I don't mean that we've never experienced death. I, I mean a little bit more existential than that. If you think about what you can remember in your life, when you go back to whenever the meter of your memory started running, whether that was two, three, four, five, whatever, whatever your earliest memories are, from that point on, you have some modicum of control in your life. There is some element of you're able to make your choices. You're able to control part, at least, of your life. I think we understand whether a person is a non-theist or a Christ follower. I think we all understand that when the clock goes to all zeros, regardless of what we may boast about or what we may say about how we're going to approach death, I think we all know when the clock goes to zeros, we have zero control. I have people who tell me, they say, well, Mark, when I die, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to go back to the ground. But surely they must understand if they think about it, that there is zero control after death. There is a verse of scripture that I want to leave you with as we get started in today's message. In the book of Hebrews chapter two, verse 15, I love this. Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I love that verse. Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, slavery there is a perfect translation of the Greek because it's exactly what the Bible means. Think about this. The Bible says the human race walks around, lives their lives in slavery. Now, slavery is one of the most awful chapters in the history of the United States. When you think about slaves. What do you think about? How would you define their situation? Well, there are a couple of things that, that jump out to me about being a slave. Number one, one human being can own another human being. The second thing that comes to me is a person who is a slave is not free to act in his or her own best interests. They have to act in the interest of an owner. Now here the Bible talks about us living in the fear of death and death owning us and us not being able to act in our own best interests because of the fear of death. Now, this is really simple here, but it is a well-known fact that a lot of men do not go to the doctor and get a physical because they're afraid they're going to get bad news. And the weird thing about it is a lot of those men, if they would go to the doctor and get a physical, they would find out that they're okay, except they need to eat fewer potato chips. But that's just a simplistic 
thing. But the Bible says this is just the human condition that people are afraid of death and because of that, death kind of owns them. It is this specter, this shadow that hangs over us. And because of that, oftentimes we don't act in our own best interest. But the beauty of that verse is that Jesus came to free us from the fear of death so that we don't have to be scared of it. It can't own us and it can't make us do what is not in our own best interest. That's why Jesus came into our world. So let's take that question on today that most people avoid. What happens the moment you die? Whether, and I hope it happens to you when you're 102 years old or 103 or however, however long you want to live. And I hope, hope, hope death comes to you at a comfortable time or season in your life. But I think most of us know that's just not the way of the world. 7,000 people here this weekend and thousands more watching. I think we all know that um, for some of us, death will come much sooner than that. So what's going to happen the moment we die? Does it just fade to black? I mean, do you have some sense of personhood and awareness? And then when you breathe your last, it just goes dark? Will you be aware of your surroundings? Will you be unaware of your surroundings? Here's a good question. Will it be like it was before you were born? I was born on August 25th, 1956. I don't have any sense of awareness of 1955 or 1945 or 1935. Where was I? So maybe that's how it could be. Will we just be a name on a headstone in some cemetery? I tell you what Plato said. Plato said we live, <laughs> I hate this. He's a smart man in some ways, but really stupid in others. Plato said we live on in people's memories. In other words, it's people's memories that cause us to live on. And I still hear that silliness every once in a while. What kind of deal is that? How do you feel about dying and just being kept alive in the memory of people? Because here's the deal. How many of us remember our great-great-grandparents? Does anybody remember the presidents of the 19th century other than a couple, two or three? So if all I'm being kept alive in is in the memory of people who are not going to remember me very well and not remember me at all in a few years, what benefit is that? Do we just vanish into non-existence? In South Texas, there's a little tiny town called Hoover's Valley. My great uncles, Jacob and Isaac Hoover, settled in that valley. And there is a cemetery there, Hoover's Valley Cemetery. Almost all of the Hoover family who have passed are buried in that cemetery. My dad is buried there. And last year, I was in hill country of South Texas and went there and checked on my dad's grave, saw the other graves of my family members. But as I was walking out, and you, you must understand the cemetery goes back to the mid-1800s, I saw a little tombstone, and here's what it said. Unknown. Somebody's buried here. We don't know who it is. <clears throat> we don't know when they were born. We don't know how long they lived. We don't know what they cared about. We don't know who they loved. We don't know what was important to them. It's just a rock marking a spot that says unknown. So what happens the moment you die? As you can imagine, in 35 years nearly of pastoring this church, I've been through all kinds of experiences, but I remember the experience of a Monday morning years ago back in our old location very well. 
Within 35 minutes, I held a newborn baby and I held the hand of a woman when she died. I got up that morning. I remembered that we have a young family in our church about to give birth. So I went to the birthing area of Wesley Hospital and I got there right, right after the baby was born. I was the fourth person to hold the baby, the doctor, the mom, the dad, and then they had the baby wrapped up and they handed her to me. And that was a wonderful moment. It was a wonderful experience. I was there with the mom and the dad and we celebrated. It was their first baby and they were so excited. And I was excited. But after I had prayer with them and gave the little girl back to her mom, I was walking out of the hospital and I remembered there was a lady in our church who said, I have a sister-in-law who's very ill with cancer at Wesley. Would you see her? And so I thought, yes, I'm going to do that. So I left what was called the woman's building at that time, went over to the tower building four, went up to the room where this lady was and I got there just as she was about to cross over and I held her husband's hand and I held her hand as she breathed her last. And I thought, actually, I was overwhelmed with the thought of the brevity of life. I thought it wasn't that long ago till this lady was the little baby in her daddy's arms. It wasn't this long ago until her mom and dad were celebrating her birth, and now I'm holding her hand as she breathes her last breath. Is that all there is? I'm too young to remember this, but in the late 60s, there was a very popular song with that title, Is That All There Is? The singer Peggy Lee made it famous, and it's the story of someone who is looking back on life and she goes back to when she was a kid and when her dad took her to the circus and she was so excited about going to the circus but when it was over she said is that all there is and then she talked about falling in love and how she was disappointed in love and she sang the chorus again a very haunting chorus that asked the question is that all there is and then she anticipated the moment when she would come to the end of her life and she said she knew what she would be thinking as she breathed her last breath. Is that all there is? I think we should talk about that. Because this world will do everything it can to avoid that question. I mean, it is amazing to me how that some of the most brilliant people in the world don't even think about the most, well, let me just say this. They don't think about the seminal question of life, which is what happens the moment you die. Well, I love this series because I can bring you good news. Remember, we started with Hebrews chapter 2 where the Bible says Jesus came to free those of us who all their lives were held captive or held in slavery by the fear of death. Well, I want to ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All seven of these claims come from four chapters Four successive chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6. Hope you'll go home and read these chapters. But I want to take you now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Almost every funeral I preach, I preach from this chapter because I'll just, and I say this at funerals, one of my pet peeves is when I go to a funeral and some minister will go off into some flowery language, I just feel like if there's ever, ever time for straight talk, it's a funeral. And so I teach on this when I'm preaching a funeral. So I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at what God says. We know when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and Paul knew that we wouldn't understand necessarily what he was talking about with that metaphor, metaphor, so he says, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself 
and not by human hands. The words that literally leap off the page to me are the words, we know, we know. I have had conversations with some of the most brilliant people in our country. And when the conversation goes to this topic, I have watched as some of the brightest people go off into some haze. I, I, I speak outside of our church sometimes, try to restrain that in my old age, but often I'm invited to speak for some conference or speak for some training for pastors, as I will in a little over a week in Kentucky. So I find myself on airplanes a lot. And if, if I'm by myself, you know, there will be somebody sitting by me. And oftentimes if I'm flying out early on Monday morning, I'm out with all the business people who are on their way to wherever their appointments are. And I've had people sit beside me. And especially if it's a guy, a guy's going to ask me, what do you do for a living? And I never tell them. I, I, I really don't like that question because the moment people find out you're a minister, the conversation just gets a little quirky. <laughs> you just have to be there. It's like... You know, they're like talking like a normal person, you know, and chatting and talking about this and that. And then, what do you do for a living? I'm, I'm a minister. Oh. <laughs> I drove by a church one day. <laughs> so, you know how I am. So, so, they'll ask me, what do you do for a living? I say, guess. I've never had anybody guess, Pastor. <laughs> don't know what that should tell me. Lawyers, number one. Advertising is number two which I know nothing about either. But I was on a flight to Southern California. The man sitting next to me was about 80 years of age. He was dressed in golf attire that I could never afford. And I'm, I'm sort of surprised he was flying on this kind of flight because he was one of the most successful businessmen, at least in one particular area. I've used his product. I'm, I'm guessing most of you have used his product, at least those of you watching in the United States. Maybe well beyond that. And when he got on the plane, he just kind of took a seat, fastened his belt, and I, I was reading a book about Billy Graham, so I couldn't hide who I was. So he asked me what I was reading, and I said, I'm reading a book about Billy Graham. Well, he was not a Christian, but he knew who Billy Graham was. And so that started a conversation, and he asked me what I did, and I started talking about our church and what was important to us. I've never seen anybody do this on a flight before. He repositioned himself to sit sideways so he could talk to me. And I mean, here's the thing. This guy started a simple business in Chicago, bought a $5,000 patent, and it is for the product that I'm guessing you probably have somewhere in your house. I've had five or six of these, I guess. He, was, he had been in his place in Paris. He had stopped by his house a Martha's Vineyard, he was on his way to his place in Palm Springs. And for a three-hour flight, we talked nonstop about this question. He had no idea. Most people I talk to have no idea what happens when you die. Usually when they answer you, watch this. If you ever get into a conversation, the answer will be begun with some, some aspect or form of supposition. Well, I guess, I guess we go to a better place. I mean, you know, bright people say stuff like that. I guess we go to a better place. I've always thought, I hope, my parents said, my church teaches, it'll be some form of supposition. I am so thankful that when we open the word of God, God says, we know, we know. 
It's not like throwing the football up and hoping there's a receiver downfield. God said, we know. Well, what do we know? We know that when this tent that we live in, this body that we live in, when it's taken down, God has another body for us. Now think about this. The very concept of a tent communicates temporariness. A lot of you like to camp. My idea of camping is the Marriott, but I've spent a few nights in tents. I don't want to live there. A tent is just meant to be accommodations for a brief period of time. And that is what the Bible talks about when it talks about our body. It's just accommodations for a brief period of time. And for those of you, I know a lot of you new springers are really young. I love it when I run in, especially to you guys, when I run into you working out and you guys want to come show me how buff and how ripped you are. And I always want to say, wait till you see what time and gravity do to that body. (laughs) This body is temporary. And Paul said, look, it's going to wear out someday. It may wear out at 10. It may wear out at 70. It may wear out at 102. I don't know. But someday this body is going to serve its purpose. But Paul is wanting us to understand that the existence that we're going to move into is far superior. I mean, just as a house is juxtaposed against a tent, the bodies that we will have in heaven are juxtaposed similarly to the bodies that we have now. Now, let me read on. The Bible says we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. I only have two thoughts in this message today. And here is the first thought. You are not your body. Better yet, your body is not you. Now, we, in the Western world, we need to hear this. Because I think largely, we think we are our bodies. My dad, you know, I used to love when my dad was aging. He's with the Lord now. But, you know, every time he would have a birthday late in life, you know, we'd talk about, he'd say, well, son, I'm 75 now. And I would say, well, what's 75 to a guy who's going to live forever? Well, son, I'm 80. I'd say, well, dad, what's 80 to a guy who's going to live forever? And we need to get that in our minds because, you see, you're not your body. You live in your body. I can say I see you today, but I don't see you. That part of you that's alert, that's cognitive, that loves, that chooses, that feels, that decides, that part of you that is you, that part of you is invisible. No, no, in case you're a skeptic, you would say, oh, Mark, you're just talking about the brain. Hey, here's the deal. The brain is just the organ that the mind and soul use. The real you is invisible. The real you lives in your body. Now, I want you to look at the scripture that we just read because I want you to own it personally. You know, sometimes we read a promise that God makes to everybody or to every believer and we look at it in a collective sense. Here is what you must understand when you open the Bible. When you see a promise that God makes to every human, then you can put your name in there. For instance, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Personalize that. God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that if I will believe in him, I will not perish but I will have everlasting life. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the scriptures that we just read. If you are a Christ follower, you can change the 
plural pronoun into singular. Let's do that together. Let's read this. 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that when this earthly tent I live in is taken down, that is when I die and leave this earthly body, I will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for me by God himself and not by human hands. I grow weary in my present body. And I long to put on my heavenly body like new clothing, for I will put on a heavenly body. I will not be a spirit without a body. God himself has prepared me for this. And as a guarantee, he has given me his Holy Spirit. So I'm always confident, even though I know as long as I live in this body, I am not at home with the Lord, for I live by believing and not seeing. Yes, I am fully confident, and I would rather be away from this earthly body, for then I will be at home with the Lord. So whether I'm in this body or away from this body, my goal is to please him. That is what will take you out of the fear of death. You don't have to worry about dying, because here's the deal. As one lady said, if I live here, Jesus will be with me. If I go to heaven, I will be with Jesus. Either way, it's just Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. And now number two, given that fact, and based on the fact that you are not your body, and your body is not you, that means we probably don't understand what God is up to with death. Now, in week two of this series, I I, I taught you what the Bible says, we see more because of faith. In other words, we see what God tells us is behind the curtain. So in seeing more, I go beyond what earth dwelt earthlings can see who don't know what God has to say. See, the reason why we're so screwed up on death is we see the death of the body. I don't mean us personally, but I'm just talking about collectively. We see the death of the body. We assume that the body is us. Ergo, when the body dies, we die. Do you see how whack that is? I mean, it's so wrong because you're not your body. You live in your body. At some point, this body is going to wear out. They're going to take it to the mortuary, make it look really, real good, as good as possible. They're going to put it in a box, and people are going to come by you and say, don't he look natural? And they're going to go to the cemetery, and they'll go back to the church and eat potato salad. I mean, that is just kind of what happens here. But it's not the death of you, it's just the end of this body. So if that's the case, it means we probably don't understand death at all. So I want to help us with that. It is important to recognize that God is not out to harm us when we die. Now, there are all kinds of questions that could be asked about why does a person suffer and why is a person allowed to suffer, but if a person is a Christ follower, I mean, we understand that God looks at death differently than we look at death. There's a verse in the Bible that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his children, because we're coming home to him. It's hard for us because people leave home. But here's what I want us to understand. Death, or at least what I'm going to read about, has to happen before we can go to heaven. And here is the point, and I'll prove this with a scripture in just a moment. You can't take this body to heaven. Now, if you're 20 years old and you're in great shape and you look real good, you may like, 
well, I'd like to take this body to heaven. I've worked on it a lot. I look real good. Talk to some of us who are over 50. And you don't want to take this body to heaven. Now, we do all we can do. We do stuff with the, you know, with the color of the hair, if the guys have it. And sometimes they add it, you know, and there's all kind of stuff can be done to pull the skin tight. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, man. Look as young as you can, as long as you can, as long as it's not really weird. <laughs> you, ever, you ever see somebody who's had too much work done? <laughs> like they should have stopped about four surgeries ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm not ripping that at all. If, if you're into plastic surgery, thank you for what you do. But here's the deal. You can't take this body to heaven. At some point, you got to have a transition. Let me read about it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be uh, transformed into immortal bodies. So do we understand that that's what death is? The word itself means separation. It's not the cessation of existence. It's not the cosmic stop sign. It is when the soul and spirit leave this body behind and then we are transformed. So it's not the end, it's the crossing point. Now let me tackle one more thing before I finish this message today. It could be that you're here and you're saying, well, Mark, I've been taught that when you die, you sleep in the ground and someday way out in the future, there's a resurrection. Well, let me, let me cut to the chase real quickly and then I'll prove what I'm talking about here. Your body is going to sleep in the ground, but not your soul and spirit. I want you to think about the people in the Bible who died and what happened the moment they died. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a thief next to him who believed in him. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said in Luke 23, verse 43, chapter 23, verse 43, I assure you, today you will be with me in the dirt. No. Jesus said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. So I know his body was going into the ground, both were going to be buried. But Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. You have Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses at least had been dead for centuries. When you look at Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The Bible says Lazarus was, he died and he was transported by angels to the place where Abraham was. The rich man died and he opened his eyes in hell. Jesus talked about that in Luke 16. So here's the thing. Please understand that when you leave this life, if you are a follower in Jesus Christ, the first touch you will feel, I believe, will be the hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, do you know that when Jesus was on the earth, he raised three people back to life and he did the same thing every time? Read it. You'll see for yourself. All three times he called them. Why did he call them? They could hear him. Well, we've worked this whole message to get to this place. 
What does happen the moment you die if you're a Christ follower? The book of John, chapter 11. Jesus is just a few days away from being crucified. Outside the city of Jerusalem, about two miles away in a little town called Bethany, is a family, two sisters and a brother. And they are close personal friends of Jesus. Scholars believe that whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would stay in Bethany and walk back and forth. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. And Mary and Martha fire off a text or Facebook, you know, Instagram. And they say to Jesus, the, the, your buddy's sick. And come heal him. And Jesus doesn't come in time and Lazarus dies and he's been in the grave for four days. Jesus walks into, Bethlehem, uh, into Jerusalem with his disciples. And they take turns, Martha and then Mary going out to meet Jesus. And they say, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And that's what brings us to John 11, 25, and 26 that scholars tell us are the most profound words in the Bible. I'm not a scholar, so I can't prove that, but scholars say this is the most profound statement in your Bible. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, or she who believes in me, do you, do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted him with your soul? You, you put your name in there. He or she who believes in me will live, this has got to be one of the strangest statements ever framed, will live even if he were to die. Now think about that. To Martha and Mary, it was very clear that Lazarus was dead, but Jesus was like, well, well, well even if he were to die, he'd still live. I mean, that is strange, isn't it? I mean, in essence, Jesus is saying, well, he's not dead, if somehow he managed to die, he'd still be alive. I, uh, this, the only, this is the quirkiest illustration I can come up with. And you really have to be old like me to even know what I'm talking about. I'm probably a guy. When, when I was a kid growing up, you know, boxing was a big thing. And there was this toy, this inflatable toy that would be, you know, you would sort of box and the bottom was weighted and you would hit it and knock it down and it'd come right back up and you couldn't knock it completely down. It was always going to bounce right back up. Every time I read this verse, I think about this. Jesus like, well, even if he were to die, he'd still be alive. And I'm sure Mary and Martha were kind of like you and me, like, whoa, that's kind of hard to Wrap your brain around. So Jesus just said, okay, let me put it to you this way. And this is what scholars say is the most profound line in the Bible. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now the New Testament is written in Greek. And Greek is an extraordinary language, much more specific than English. There are things that are written in Greek that really don't come over into English. And I'm so thankful that God put the New Testament in Greek for that reason, because sometimes when you like unpack it, you're like, wow, this is even better than it looks. The Greeks had a way of emphasizing a negative. They would, it would be a double negative, and then there would be a couple of cases that it could be in. And, and this is like the biggest negative that could possibly be. I mean, when we use double negatives in English, it means we don't know grammar. You know, if we say, I haven't never done that, you know, it's like, well, that person didn't go to school very long. <laughs> but in the Greek language, 
This is serious. This is the most emphatic negative that can be in the English language. The only thing I can think of to describe it is, do you remember when you were in elementary school and you were learning long division? And you were working with a problem and, and you got a, a number in the quotient, especially after you have a decimal, you have a, a numeral in the quotient that just repeats itself. And, and you know, I, do you remember, I remember maybe, I don't know if they still teach us, but when, when I was like in the second or third grade when they were teaching us to us and, and you get this three that just kept repeating, the teacher would say, you don't have to keep, you don't have to keep repeating the step. You're going to have three repeating into infinity or six or nine. And they said you could draw a bar over the last numeral and it would signify that the numeral repeated itself into infinity. That is what the Greeks are doing here with the language. Do you want to know the word that Jesus spoke in that context? It's the word never. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never, 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 never die. Do you realize that when you die, somebody in heaven will have to tell you? Just asking. I mean, see, here's the deal. We live in a world that goes by what we can see. It is so hard for us because the death of the body looks like the death of the person, but it's not. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never, never, never die. Some of us have experienced a particular thing. I really believe sometimes God gives people things to say who are about to cross over that are for the rest of us. I remember we had a wonderful man in my church when I was a very young man in my early 20s. He'd been in the church all my life. He was only 49 years of age. I, I talked to him at church on a Sunday night. We, we talked for a few minutes. Later that night, he got very ill. He was transported to the hospital, and my dad went up to see him about 10 o'clock that night. And Lloyd said, and it was in the South, you know, Brother Hoover, I'm going home. And dad said, sure you will, Lloyd. You'll, you'll get over this and you'll be able to go home. And he said, no, I'm going home. And with that, he slipped out. My brother died with cancer when he was four. And as you can imagine, it, it, it really wrecked my mom and dad. But the night before Roger died, he said this to my mother. He said, I, I dreamed I spent the night with Jesus last night and I was so happy. I could give you a catalog of those. Why? Because I think God is trying to let us know whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never, 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 never die. That means you don't have to be afraid of death. And you say, well, Mark, you know, I don't really know that I want to talk about death today. You don't understand. I'm talking about life. See, most people are held in captive. They're slaves to the fear of death. If you don't have to worry about dying, you can put the accelerator on the floor. And you can live all out. And I don't mean in an unhealthy, risky way, but I mean in a way that just leaves it with God. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so I get to the claim at the very end of the message. What a Christ follower can say that a person who's not a Christ follower can, can't say is, I will never die. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
I love that absent and present thing. It kind of gets to me. My mother-in-law was one of the finest women I ever knew in my life. Mary Alice's mom. I remember when I was dating Mary Alice and we were engaged to be married. And my mother-in-law told me, I prayed for you when I was carrying Mary Alice. And I never had a bigger fan. You know, sometimes speakers tell mother-in-law jokes. I could never do that. I had the best in the world. She had a stroke in the year 2000. For the last 17 years of her life, she lived without the use of most of the right side of her body. But her mind was sharp, and she loved God and put God first every day of her life. And when the time came for her to cross over, she told Mary Alice, I'm ready to go. I had the privilege of preaching her funeral. I had no issues preaching on Proverbs 31 that day because she was the Proverbs 31 woman. I love to think about her first roll call in heaven because the Bible talks about being absent and present. I can think about that first day that she answered present in heaven and I can hear Jesus say, oh, I see we have a new face here. That's what it means for a Christ follower to die. Can you say that? Can you say, I will never die? Would you bow your head with me, please? I quoted John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, are you ready for this, everlasting life. That is the very essence of salvation. How do you get it? Do you get it by joining a church? No. Do you get it by living a better life? No. You get it by understanding that Jesus died for you so that you could live forever. His blood paid for your sins. And then they put him in a grave. But three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power. And he said, because I live, you shall live also. And anybody, regardless of what you've done or where you've been, by faith, you can invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. You can turn your life over to him and receive God's free gift of what God calls eternal life. And you will be able to say, I will live forever. I will never die. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. These are not magic words, but if you want to pray these words, and if you mean them from your heart, God will hear your prayer. I'll pray it slowly so you can decide if you want to say this to God. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I am unfixable on my own. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And because he's alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and king Make me your child. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Three more seconds. Five, eight, maybe. <laughs> if you just prayed with me, go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark. I have a gift box ready for you. It won't cost you anything. All you got to do is just say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you. There's a Bible like I preach from, a book I wrote that answers a lot of questions and some other cool stuff. So just go to any info center. They're all over the campus and say, I pray with Mark get the gift box. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.